Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love you to open it now to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We did an entire episode introducing this epistle, and so if you haven't had the chance to check that out, I would highly recommend that you do. As I mentioned there, the letter we refer to as 2 Corinthians is actually the fourth letter in a series of letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to these relatively new believers living in the Roman city of Corinth. There's a letter before what we call 1 Corinthians. We know that because Paul refers to it in 1 Corinthians. And then there's a letter between what we call 1 Corinthians and what we call 2 Corinthians. And we know that because Paul speaks about that letter at some length in this letter. As such, we have the second and fourth letters in this series. And and putting that all together can be complicated. So to get the full backstory to the extent that we can reconstruct it, see the introductory episode. The issue here in 2 Corinthians is really twofold. On the one hand, there are concerns about Paul's look and style as a leader. Everything about Paul seems at odds with what these Roman people have come to expect in a leader. He was sick and frequently ill. He was very academic and theological, and he didn't speak with a great deal of flair, like the famous rhetoricians that they were familiar with. And he traveled on a shoestring budget, sometimes even working with his hands to support himself like a common laborer. And so there were questions about Paul as a man and Paul as an apostle. Shouldn't an apostle of Jesus Christ be rich and powerful and healthy and blessed? That was the question behind the general crisis of authority that Paul was seeking to address. But at the same time, he's trying to reshape their expectations and assumptions about the Christian life. Why would they think that being sick and working with your hands and being humble somehow disqualifies you from working for Jesus. Who do they think that Jesus is? And so these two issues are related. I cited Michael J. Gorman in the introductory episode. He puts it this way. He says, What unifies the shifting rhetoric of 2 Corinthians is its ultimate focus on the spirit-filled, cruciform shape of transformed life in Christ. Close quote. Does living a cross-shaped life disqualify me from being an apostle? Paul asks, no, of of course not. On the contrary, it actually establishes me. It affirms and confirms me as an apostle. Paul's job as an apostle is to proclaim and illustrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. So hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, while no two openings of a Pauline letter are identical, he does tend to make use of standard epistolary form, usually with a significant emphasis or addition. His style here, though, is noticeably restrained. There are fewer extra flourishes here than in some of his other letters. He is very direct. He is urgent and to the point. And the point of this letter is that Paul is an apostle. And as such, he has been authorized to speak 
on behalf of Christ to the Corinthians. He is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Having said that, he moves directly into the body of his letter. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Usually after the opening address, Paul would offer a word of thanksgiving for the people that he's writing to, but he doesn't do that here in the same way that he doesn't do it in his letter to the Galatians. And commentators will often read into that, and I think rightly so. This church is on probation, as it were. They've been an affliction to Paul as opposed to a blessing. So he doesn't thank God for them. Instead, he blesses God on behalf of them. He praises God for the gift of comfort in suffering. Because even though suffering hurts, the experience of it makes us better at ministering kindness and gospel comfort to other people who are suffering. Now, that's not a throwaway comment. In fact, some scholars argue it represents the message of this letter in miniature. Mark Seifert, for example, says here, We find here the theology of the entire letter in a nutshell. God's fatherly comfort is given ever only to those in weakness and affliction, a comfort that is salvation itself. Such is the nature of apostolic ministry and Christian life, which the Corinthians have refused to accept, closed quote. So stop for a second and hear that. These people thought that Paul's many sufferings disqualified him from being an apostle, or at least called that claim into question. On the contrary, Paul says, it is a good thing that God has ordained so much suffering for me, because in every suffering, he meets me with gospel strength. And that allows me to teach, lead, and comfort you. The Lord has enrolled me in the school of affliction where all gospel ministers go for education and refinement. And of course, that's true on a personal level as well, isn't it? What good would a church full of shiny, happy people be in a broken and hurting world like this? Suffering humbles us and suffering positions us to receive gospel grace and comfort so that we can grow and so that we can share. That doesn't make suffering fun, but it does perhaps make it easier to endure. These verses promise presence and purpose in our pain. Thanks be to God. Verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer 
so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So far from trying to minimize the suffering that he has experienced, Paul wants them to know about it. He foregrounds it. Why? Because this is what it means to take up your cross and follow Jesus. The life of the apostle reflects the pattern and content of the gospel. That's the point here. How could you think that suffering disqualified me, Paul says? I'm an apostle of the crucified Christ. What religion do you think this is? We worship Jesus of Nazareth, who hung naked on a bloody Roman cross. Our road to glory goes down, down, down before it goes up, up, up. We're the cross before the crown people. So, yes, I look like the gospel I preach. So lean in and let me tell you more about that. I suffered in Asia, he says, nearly to the point of death. Now, we don't know actually what Paul is referring to precisely there in terms of the suffering he experienced in Asia. He may be talking about the riots in Ephesus, which was in Asia Minor. The word Asia today means something different than it did then. Paul's actually talking about modern-day Turkey. Something bad happened there. Again, it, it might be the riots that are narrated in Acts 19, or he might have been talking about something else. Later in the letter in 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 25, he talks about imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, close quote. Now, if you go back and try to find all those things, you won't be able to, meaning they're not all in the book of Acts. Like, three times I was beaten with rods. Well, we only have one of those stories. That's the story in Acts 16 about when Paul was beaten with rods in Philippi. And, and so Acts is very selective. So we don't know everything we'd like to know. What we know is that Paul experienced a tremendous amount of suffering and affliction. And some of that suffering and affliction happened in Asia. And Paul is foregrounding that. He's not hiding it. He says, yeah, let's talk about that. Yes, it was very difficult, but it was ultimately for our good because it made us even more reliant upon God who raises the dead. It bruised our bodies, but it grew our faith. And we'll take that deal seven days a week. That's the perspective of someone living a gospel-shaped life. The late Tim Keller had a great quote that was posted to his still active Twitter account. He says, Suffering dispels the illusion that we have the strength and competence to rule our own lives. Close quote. Yes, exactly that. Suffering heals us of all manner of deceptions and illusions. It reminds us of who we are, and it reminds us of where we are in the great story of God. In that sense, it is something that gospel-minded people can be thankful for, as Paul models here. Verse 12. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us, as we will boast of you. As I mentioned in the introductory episode, after the brief greeting and blessing, Paul's purpose in the first seven chapters of the letter is to explain his recent conduct toward them as their apostle. Like a patient father, Paul says that he has hidden nothing from them, nor has he played bait and switch. I have been honest with you about the shape and nature of the Christian life. What I've said is not complicated. 
it is just contrary to your personal ambitions and cultural assumptions. That's where the disconnect is. My life looks the way it ought to look. It looks like the life of someone following the crucified Messiah. Therefore, there is no reason for my experiences to create a rupture in our relationship. If there is a problem, the problem is at your end. That's the gist of the argument that Paul is making here. Now, in terms of the word boasting, there's really no English word that perfectly captures the meaning of the Greek word that Paul uses here. David E. Garland is helpful. He says, boasting is related to confidence, and confidence is good if one places it in the right things, closed quote. Paul is using the word in an Old Testament sense, similar to how it is used in passages like Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24, where the Lord says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boasts in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Close quote. So there God says, do you want to be confident? Do you want to feel solid and unshakable in this world? Then know me, obey me, imitate me. Let that be the basis of your hope and glory. Paul is saying something similar here. He's saying that his confidence is not in his health or in his prosperity or social status. His confidence comes from the fact that he is telling the truth and following the path set out for him by Jesus Christ. And he wants them to have that confidence as well, which for them means following him as he follows Christ. If we all do what we're supposed to do, then we can all have confidence and joy in each other on the day of the Lord. Paul always had one eye on the day of the Lord, and so should we. He was always asking the question, if the clouds parted today, if the trumpet sounded today, would I be ready? Now, for the Corinthians to be ready, they would need to be reconciled to their apostle. After all, Jesus said to his apostles, whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. Closed quote. That's Matthew 10, 40. So according to Jesus, if you reject the apostles, you reject Jesus. If you reject Jesus, you reject God. And if you reject God, then God will reject you on Judgment Day. So it's very important, maximally important for this relationship to be restored. Paul wants the Corinthians to have nothing to fear on the Day of Judgment. And he's very confident that they're going to get there. Verse 15. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first, so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia, and to come back to you from Macedonia, and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do, do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no, at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. I mentioned in the introductory episode that the shift in Paul's travel and visitation schedule had exacerbated the growing tensions between this church and their apostle. 
In 1 Corinthians 16, 5-9, Paul had said, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you, or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries, close quote. So they were looking forward to an extended visit. Paul was going to spend the winter with them. Imagine if it was announced in your church that the Apostle Paul was going to be preaching every Sunday and running an evening small group from December 1st through to April 1st. That would be huge news. But then for some reason, he couldn't come. He canceled and feelings were hurt. And then, to make matters worse, not only did he not come for the extended visit they were hoping for, at some point he made a a short emergency visit to deal with a discipline matter, which ended very poorly. So again, to put that in context, imagine you were looking forward to a four-month visit from the Apostle Paul with a preaching series and a Sunday evening class. And instead of that, you got a three-day congregational meeting to discuss a matter of discipline. And, And right after that, Paul left. That's like hoping for ice cream and instead getting sent to bed without any dinner. That's going to feel like a bad deal. And Paul's opponents attempted to turn this unfortunate set of circumstances into an accusation. How can such a contradictory and unreliable man claim to represent a faithful and unchanging God? To answer this charge, Paul affirms his intention to spend an extended amount of time with them. The promised visit has been delayed, not deferred. And then he says that you know that our word to you was true and faithful. You saw how all the promises of God land on the person and work of Jesus Christ. You received that testimony from three witnesses, not just me. And you said your amen to that truth, and you received the gift of the Holy Spirit as a seal upon that truth. So how can significant realities like that be undermined by a simple shift in our travel itinerary? I assure you, there was a perfectly good reason for this delay. And then he tells them what that was in verses 23 to 24. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrain from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith, closed quote. So the reason I didn't come when I had previously planned, Paul says, is because you weren't ready. Had I come then, I would have had to come for discipline. My preference was to sort all of that out ahead of time so that I could come for joy. I want my visit to be experienced not as a burden to be borne, but as a generous contribution to your confidence and steadfastness in the faith. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the Into the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting one of our preferred mission partners. For the remainder of this year, we are highlighting the church planting ministry Mile One in St. John's, Newfoundland. Newfoundland is classified as an unreached population, with less than 2% of people identifying as evangelicals. Mile One Ministries is committed to helping healthy churches plant other Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches. Here at End of the Word, I only promote ministries that I have first-hand, on-the-ground experience with. Mile One is bearing fruit 
and is being led and stewarded by people that I know and trust. If you'd like to make a contribution to this important ministry, you can do that by visiting the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. There are giving options there under the Give tab for both Canadian and American listeners. International listeners are welcome to give as well, though their gifts may not qualify for charitable receipts in their nation. Thank you for considering this method of showing your support for the Into the Word program. And may God alone be glorified. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. 